The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode contains sensitive conversations about historical and personal trauma recovery and indigenous-led behavioral health programs. If you are triggered, please reach out to supportive people and programs. And if you are in crisis, please call the CARE line at 988 or 1-877-266-4357. For emergencies, dial 911. Stay safe. Know you are loved help each other out, and be strong in these movements of decolonization and language reclamation. They tried to colonize us, tried to genocide us, yet we're still here. With the tongue unbroken. When it's cheese, her eight is a ahi, just to cut you on. This is the tongue unbroken, season two, episode three. And I'm excited today. We're having a conversation with Dr. Tina Woods, and we are going to be talking about mental health, wellness, native communities overcoming historical traumas. Uh, so there, there will be some sensitive things perhaps in this episode, but the intention here is to build strength, build community, build capacity, and to continually overcome historical and current and individual and collective traumas and work towards a decolonized community that is embracing wellness and health and hopefully sobriety and just being open and honest, and especially as you come into your work in decolonization, in language revitalization, checking in with each other, checking in with yourself, maintaining a good sense of balance and well-being is tremendously important to avoid burnout, to avoid lateral violence, to avoid creating hierarchies that make it difficult for people to come into language spaces. So I'm excited for this conversation, these are things that we need to be talking about. And I'm here with a brilliant and talented individual. And will you uh, introduce yourself? Sure. Ong, ong. Hello, hello. I'm Tina Woods. I am Unanga, originally from St. Paul Island, otherwise known as Aleut. I'm the daughter of the late Maria Shaishnikov. Uh, my mother was Unanga, and my father, the late Juan Leon Guerrero, was Chamorro from the island of Guam. I come from two islands. Uh, I was also recently adopted into the Kaguantan clan, and my name given is Noctaxini. And I'm a licensed clinical community psychologist with a rural indigenous emphasis, and I'm happy to be here. Uh, half a day. Uh, I was in a language program in Hilo, and one of the members of our cohort was Chamorro, and so we used to talk about language programs that are over there in Guam, and everything was cold to him. And so <laughs> it's, it's really great to, to visit with you and to have some time to spend with you as we talk about 
wellness and as we talk about your work. Also, I just want to acknowledge there's multiple places in Southeast Alaska where Onangah people were brought here during World War II. And so we always want to acknowledge when, when we're interfacing and talking with each other, our shared histories. And some of our histories is uh, incredible displacement and removal from your lands for protection, is what uh, some people say. But just in terms of the way people were housed and the way people were treated was really inhumane. Uh, and it happened in our lands. Uh, but there was an elder I did a lot of work with. Her name was Jesse Johnny, and she talked about the people of Huna and how they used to go to Funter Bay and and make sure that they brought food and they they chatted with people and they said this is this is how you hunt here, this is how you fish here, and they really wanted to make sure that people were comfortable and and if Tlingit people were hosting, no one would have been treated like that. So we just want to acknowledge the harm done to Anangah people on our lands and uh, the work that's been done to acknowledge that in the places that it happened. So Dr. Tina, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do here in our community? I act both as an administrator and a clinical psychologist. Um, I mostly identify as a community psychologist. I really believe in bringing people together to heal through each other. Through my training in a rural remote community setting, I feel strongly that programs don't heal people. It's people that heal people. We heal through relationship. We tend to see each other, see ourselves through each other. And so some of the work that I started doing here at Clinket and Haida is creating the foundation for a healing center. So community and behavioral services healing center. And while we do many of the same outpatient services that you would find at other clinics throughout the state, in addition to that, we really do try to do work that is based on the foundation of our tribal values. And we try to create space really meeting people where they're at and breaking down the barriers. In our field, it's it can be highly regulated, and there's a lot of administrative paperwork that comes with coming in to see someone for help. And so that's one of the areas that we really focus on is just really being with someone and removing that piece of paper, really getting to know them and build relationship, build trust before we start gathering information, making sure that they feel comfortable in our setting, offering them a cup of coffee, and just getting to know them, getting to know who they are. Many of us are trained as Western providers, and many of us grew up Native. And so we combined who we are as Native people with some of our training. The foundation of our work is our tribal values, however, and just treating people with respect and really acknowledging that it's scary to ask for help. So when people come in seeking support from us, we pay attention to their affect, we pay attention to their body language, we pay attention to their words to ensure that we're meeting them and ensuring that they feel like they can trust us. Because when we are in such a setting, it can be very intimidating. Sometimes people want to come and ask for help, and we remind them, it's, you know, it's within us, it's within you to heal yourself. So we really see us creating space for people to heal themselves, but we use some of the tools from our training to help them and to help them explore some of the cognitive distortions or some of the trauma that continues to live in their nervous system to help them understand why they might be triggered by certain sound or smell, uh, to understand the history of trauma that our people have been through. Uh, we serve children to adults, elders. Uh, we love when elders come in for therapy. There was a time in my my practice where it was kind of a foreign thing for an elder to say, I need help. And today, it's probably my most favorite population to work with because I'm so inspired by people who recognize that forever we are healing ourselves and learning. And there's nothing more enjoyable to sit with an elder who's looking to us to heal themselves and for us to create the space for them to do that. And so we do a lot of community work. We tend to host opportunities for men to heal together, for women to heal together. And we have an opportunity coming up to host Gathering for Children to heal from significant loss, uh, a grief and loss camp for children and addressing their grief and loss so that they don't take 
some of what they experience at this young age into their adulthood. Uh, Working with children on that note is really important to us. I think we underestimate their ability to feel. We underestimate their ability to have emotions and to have thoughts about what's happening around them. So we also create space for them to, at their cognitive level, to explore some of the challenges that the world presents to them. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, I was thinking of this Klingit word. It's katadook. And katadook means it's solid. Like this, this, there's a table in front of us and that table is solid. Or if you had a rock that you think it's not going to break apart if you put it in the fire, you know, like some rocks are, they'll explode if they get too hot and stuff. And so cut to Duke could refer to that, but it could also mean like the fortress or the village is impenetrable. Like it's, it's got solid defenses. And it also means for a wound to heal up completely. And so I think about this kind of stuff because as we look at living in wellness and, and living in an indigenous sense of wellness, I really admire that you're looking at bringing, bringing together methodologies that are maybe external to indigenous peoples and then methodologies that are internal to indigenous peoples. Because one of the things that we found, I was giving testimony at the state legislature and a legislator said, well, how do you balance the ancient of the Alaska native language and the modern of English? And I said, well, there's a bit of a stereotype there is that we're ancient and English is modern. And that's a dangerous stereotype to think because behind that is these concepts of primitive and advanced. But at the same time, our cultures and our languages were prohibited for probably 80 years in Alaska. And so we were not allowed to bring our knowledge into science and into medicine and into all these different sort of fields. And so what we're looking at now when we revitalize our language and we we really try to look at what it tells us, we try to bring some of those concepts into things like medicine and healing, therapy. And so as we do that, it's really exciting to think about what the future could look like I was involved with our healthcare organization years ago, and we used to have these conversations about trying to transform what a hospital is. So a hospital isn't a place where you go when you're hurt, but it's a place that radiates health, right? It's this this place that sort of acknowledges things and it has conversations because we're continually trying to convince our own peoples to say, talk about your pain and talk about your things that hurt. Because as we look at this, the approach from being a native man, identifying as a native man, uh, I've been told sometimes, like, you're not supposed to be sad. You're supposed to just be tough and you're supposed to just, you know, you never cry and you never do this. And and I think sometimes there's also a stereotype of what indigenous peoples are. And so I thought of this because I was teaching Tlingit one time and someone said, uh, I didn't realize everybody could learn Tlingit. She was, she was an older white lady. And, and I do think she was getting some dementia and perhaps her filter was eroding a little bit because she said, my dad was a teacher for a long time at a boarding school, right? And I was like, okay. And she said, and I didn't realize that everybody could learn Tlingit. And I said, well, everybody should who lives here because that's how the language stays alive. It'd be great. If you go to France, if you're going to live there, you should learn French. And if you're going to live here, you should learn Tlingit. And then she said, and it was funny. And I, I didn't realize that Tlingit people laughed. And I didn't really know how to respond to that. So I said, uh, well, I guess when you were young, like, White people were taking everything from us, taking the land, taking the children out of the homes, taking everything. And so it wasn't a very fun time, but we were still over here telling jokes, you know. <laughs> so, But like just trying to sort of think of um, laughter and respect and you know, it's, it's a challenge, you know, as we talk about serving different ages within our population as well to, to serve elders because we've been in meetings sometimes and we've been in language gatherings where we've seen someone who is an elder treat someone very badly. And that creates a very confusing situation for us because that's an elder, we respect them, we, we understand the knowledge they have, they can speak the language, but we just witnessed an act of violence. And all of us know that like, that's something that shouldn't have happened, but we didn't really have the tools to, to stop that. And so some of the things that we've been trying to do with our language work is to be more active in the concept of bringing in healing, bringing in harm reduction to the point where we were working on a forum where people would sign it to say, I will not cause harm. And if I do, I'll be sent home. Like we, and we never got to a point where we had to sort of enforce that. But the hope was if people could see that and see that harm has been caused, 
that maybe there could be some harm reduction. You're bringing up so many thoughts to mind around language and around harm and around mental health and around our history. And so I want to talk about a couple experiences that can can demonstrate that. So I had mentioned I'm Unanga, I'm Aleut, and I'm one of 11 siblings. And my late mother spoke fluent Aleut, and uh, she never taught any of us. I know a few words. I tried to explore learning the language, and I was corrected for not pronouncing something right, and my feelings got hurt. But I think it goes a little deeper, and because I'm a psychologist and I've studied this, I have a better understanding of me in that context, and I want to share that just to take it to another another level of what that what that feels like. So when I was growing up, um, I I did experience emotional, physical, mental abuse, and so I would say that I was what you call classically conditioned to where if I got scolded, so if somebody's voice and tone raised, then I knew what was coming next. So my body was conditioned to not make a mistake. And I was conditioned to always be good and do the right thing. And so that follows you later in life. And so later in life, anything I did in my upbringing, once I left that environment, I was living with that trauma in my body and that memory. And so for me, the classical conditioning came from just knowing as soon as someone raised their voice or used a certain tone with me, I would go back to that place, believe it or not, because trauma lives in the body. And so that really shut me down from wanting to learn and being criticized for not for being a leader and not being able to speak my language. It creates a lot of emotional pain for me. Uh, It hasn't stopped me from hoping I really have rephrased, reframed that I don't know how to speak Ananga yet. Uh, Being adopted into the Tlingit culture, I am excited to learn the language. And this, this is very complex because if you think about my mother, who actually was a young woman during the internment, my mother was removed from the Prevlofs to Funter Bay. And so her life led into many things that involve mental health, behavioral health issues. And so that's when we start talking about intergenerational trauma and transmission of that trauma. And so when I think about language and I think about how we are impacted today, the things that prevent us from learning, I love hearing what you have to say about setting guidelines and uh, group agreements about creating a psychologically safe space to learn our language. Our language is so powerful. And one thing I do know is you cannot translate the English language directly into our native language. And our native language has so much depth in what we say and how we conduct ourselves as people. When I was teaching at the university in in Anchorage, I remember a class where I invited an elder and we were talking about language. And this elder said, the English language is stupid. She is an elderly elder. And it really offended my students. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to repair this. So I found it very humorous because this is a very loved and respected elder. And the next time I invited another elder to my class and I had told him, here's what happened. And he laughed and laughed. And then he created a conversation in the class. And I had a student who comes from another country. And she said, you know, you're making me really think deeply. When I talk to my children in English, they don't listen. But when I talk to my children in my language, they recognize and they recognize and they offer respect. She said, there's a different meaning when we speak in our language. And those are just some of the stories that come to mind. I want to thank you for sharing some of your truth and some of your experiences, because I, I think there's a lot of people out there who've experienced that. They they worked up the courage to say, I'm going to go learn this language. I'm going to go access something that was denied to entire generations of my people. And then you go into a room and then sometimes, w- whether it was intentional or not, you're treated like you've done something incorrectly just right at the beginning. And so one of the things that we talk a lot about in language learning, uh, we being folks at the university and folks who are working in Tlingit right now and, and language teachers that I really relate to is making sure that your language space is a safe space. 
and that you have a lot of room to grow. And, and this one elder, she said, uh, her name is Kakashat, Florence Shakley. She said, you're going to be born again in this language. You're going to be a baby again. And I was really excited. But then like after I've been learning the language and speaking it and teaching it, I make sure to uh, let students know. I was like, you will be born again. But that means it's exciting because you get a new start, which is fun. But also you're going to have a little baby indigenous brain and you're going to have this full grown English brain and they're going to be battling for time and space. And English is a colonizing language. And so that you're always going to be going back and forth and how you think about these things. And one of the things that's really important in language learning environments is to say, I'm going to have these, these adults and they're going to sound very different because they're coming. Now they're not just baby speakers. They're coming from English to an indigenous language, which is it's the purest act of decolonization, I think. But that means you're going to have to give them time and space to sound. They're going to sound inaccurate and they're going to sound inauthentic, but that's okay because if you present it the wrong way, they might feel like they've failed before they even started. And so for us, like we're dealing with all of these traumas, all of these different things. And, and as we come back to it, and we're going to take a little break here, but I just want to make sure that if you listen to this you're taking good care of yourself. You're, you're thinking good, positive thoughts. Like we're going to do the hard work that it takes to heal and to recover and to create safe spaces and to create places where decolonization and language revitalization are not just possible, but they're pretty much guaranteed. But in order to do that, we have to make sure that we're practicing self-care. So if you're feeling uh, near crisis, if you're feeling triggered, Make sure that you're taking care of yourself and making sure that you know you're not alone. There are rising numbers of people who are making moves towards wellness and health. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back. Lachish. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but same old. (laughs) And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes 
I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So thinking of this next part of our conversation, there's a couple of little stories I was thinking of. One is this concept of manifest destiny. And so there was a t-shirt company. I'm not going to name them because I'm angry at them. And I think they never fixed their mistake. But they had an advertisement. And in the advertisement, there was a white male model who was jumping joyously with a t-shirt that said manifest destiny on it. A lot of indigenous people spoke out against it and said, this is this is not a good thing to put on a shirt. This is not a great concept because what Manifest Destiny is for indigenous peoples in Native America is this concept that God was guiding people over here to correct everything that was here. And so it gave them a lot of a superiority complex that they had the authority to come and just annihilate people for the greater good. And so what was really interesting is the person, someone from the t-shirt company, then had some social media response, which was uh, survival of the fittest, survival of the fittest. And that was their response. And so it's like, oh, this is like a white supremacy t-shirt company. I don't really get it. But another sort of thing and linking these thoughts together, I was going to teach a class and I saw a young native man come out that I know. And I said, hey, how's it going? And he said, I've never felt bad about being indigenous until right now. I said, okay, tell me what's going on. And he said, I just came out of this class and it was a class on sociology. And they said, if you're Alaska Native, you're born disadvantaged. And so sometimes, like, if you look at any of the statistics that are out there, it's really bad for us. We lead the nation in suicide rates, in incarceration rates, in violence, police attacks against uh, our peoples, on and on, like sexual violence against women, missing and murdered indigenous women. So if you look at the statistics, it's very dangerous because sometimes if you combine the statistics with manifest destiny, you might think it's already over, but it really isn't. And so we deal with this in language revitalization when people start looking at the numbers. How many speakers are left? Well, there's less than 10. Okay, well, I wish we could have done something. So sometimes people resign themselves to thinking like this is the destiny that was there. And so sometimes we have to push back against some of these concepts. No, this is a story that is happening right now. This is our lives. We are the ones who are in control. So as indigenous peoples take more control of healthcare, of mental health, of wellness, a lot of those things are going to be involving self-determination, which means we will be aware of these statistics. We'll be operating from a place of distinct intention to create change a different reality. And so that's different than sort of like coming at it saying, okay, all these people are broken and we're just going to have to be careful because they are broken. I think we're looking for a different sort of approach. And I'm curious what your approach is for those things. Again, you're, you're bringing to my attention a lot of my own experiences with focusing. Folks like to focus on, and we tend to, to be putting out fires constantly. And so when I think about the work I do here, I think about how we have people coming in needing services because they're in crisis. What our team does is we really try to remember that it's more than just the crisis. So we really, that's where we aim to do community events to let people see each other, to see the strengths, to see the 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 power that we have as indigenous people. I think about some of the work I did again at the university where there was a class that was going to be dismissed from from an opportunity for people to register. There was a series of classes. They were all Alaska Native focused. The registrations were low. 
And I remember being handed these classes as a student in psychology and told, here, you know, if if you would like to teach these rather than us completely removing them as an option, you're welcome to teach them. And I remember thinking, I never taught at a university. And I just remember thinking, can I teach it how I want to teach it? And they said, sure, it's your class. You could teach it however you want to teach it. So I knew I wanted to teach it in a circle, not in rows. And I knew that I actually didn't have the information to teach around many of these topics. I knew that I had to bring in elders to help teach these courses. So I considered myself more of a facilitator. And there are so many stories from those experiences. And one in particular was when a student approached me and said, you know, Professor Woods, I just don't even understand, you know, domestic violence must be something cultural. It's culturally accepted. And I said, no, it's not. And if you can imagine, there were a lot of students in there who were shocked by this statement. But what I did was I always created a psychologically safe space for people to learn. And so I asked the student to take a book home and to read it. And the the quickest book at my hands were, it was The Way of the Human Being by Harold Napoleon. And I said, just read this book. It's, it's a really quick read and then come back and ask me that. And she did. And she came back in tears. There's so much about our history that we don't know. There's so much about our history that we don't even know as Native people. And if you don't know, but you feel something, you feel something, but you don't always have the words to put to it. So these classes I was teaching, they ended up with wait lists. They, it ended up growing big and fast, you know, and there were wait lists. And I taught it for about a year. And the students were mostly Alaska Native students. And many times these students would say, I just don't know why I feel this way. I don't know why I feel this way. I don't know why my parents never talked about something. I don't understand. And so I created an environment, a safe environment for people to talk about these real, the the hidden. We're still living with it today and we don't have the words for it. We don't have the words to express what we're feeling and carrying in our, our veins from our ancestors. And so the way we address these topics is safe space to have the conversation. This woman had no clue. No, this is not cultural. This is, there's a whole history here. And it's important for us to know the history in order to talk about present day. So those are just some of the things that come to mind. And you had brought up earlier in our conversation, this concept of ituyeyeti, which I think is really important because when we talk about healing and mental health and well-being and gaining strength and being courageous, I think it is important for people to know that this isn't something they're going after externally. It's not like you have to go find this concept of, well, like this concept of strength and this concept of courage is inside of people already. And so I think those are really important from an indigenous perspective of wellness to look at things to say, okay, there's a bunch of stuff that happened uh, and there's a bunch of stuff that maybe you have done. But that doesn't mean that you are this type of person, like a bad person or a harmful person. It means like there is work to do. And some of that work can be repair work. So there are really difficult conversations that need to happen. So we've done, there's groups of us that have done some work with indigenous men recently and just really trying to call attention to say, there's been a lot of harm that has been done and that has continues to be done to indigenous women by indigenous men. And that means there's we're creating places that are not safe. And if we go back to the warrior days, like our role was to really protect each other and make sure that we had safe spaces. And to engage in those conversations is really challenging. It's very, very challenging. And again, we have these external stereotypes about how our people are. We have all this other stuff, these uh, historical traumas, and we have pain. Every single Indigenous person, every single Indigenous family just has tremendous, tremendous amounts of pain. And so as we look at reconnecting with the land, reconnecting with the language, I think these concepts of wholeness and and starting with what's there is really important. And so I was hoping you could touch on that a little bit more. Yeah, I will start by saying half the battle is being able to feel safe to explore self. That's half the battle. That's most of the battle. Because while I can tell you all day long that I trust the people that I work with, um, beautiful healers, not everyone chooses to have a therapist. 
in fact, it's important to have someone in your life. And it doesn't have to be a Western therapist. It you know, for some of us, it could be a friend, it could be a family member, it could be a mentor. The bottom line is finding someone you can trust. The point that I really need to make is, you know, we can, it goes back to we can create space for people to heal themselves. And there are ways to help someone feel safe enough to start exploring that. And you know, for some people, they go to maybe if they're dealing with a substance use addiction, they might go to AA, they might turn to AA, and that might work for them. And for some people, AA doesn't work. And maybe a clinician, a mental health therapist who can address both trauma and substance use works for them. You have to find somebody that you can trust. And hopefully what will happen in that relationship is that you are willing you have to have willingness. You have to be willing to heal yourself. You have to recognize shame and guilt. Many times shame and guilt keep us sick as people. And shame and guilt are very powerful forces against somebody saying, I need help. And I want to share maybe something that I did that I have regrets and I want to address it. So creating what we do is we create space for people who want to change and we journey with them. We have to heal with each other. And healing is not meant to be done alone. You know, as our, our people, you know, way back, we held each other up and we did not tear each other down. And many of those that caused harm or cause harm are also individuals with history of harm caused to them. And so it gets very complicated because that does not make a wrong right. And that's another conversation that we tend to have when people are ready to go there. And when somebody, I have witnessed it in very miraculous ways, when somebody is ready to own the harm that they've caused, it is the most incredible thing to observe them transform. Creating safe psychological space is the key to that. And that can be challenging with the history that we've gone through when it comes to providers that might be a stranger. And so here, that's why I mention it's really important that the foundation of our work in CBS Healing Center is to really remember our tribal values, to really make it safe for somebody to be them, their authentic self, honest, and to be ready to address the shame and guilt. Yeah, wow. And as we sort of engage in these conversations, like I continue to think about a number of different things from from my personal experience and also just from talking with elders. Like when, when I would record them, a big question I would ask them is, and I would ask him in the in Tlingit, I would say, What do you want your grandchildren to know if you tell me I will try to teach it to them. And when they kept talking and, and they talked about things about how we are as a people and, and what our values are and, and what we do, I continue to come back to things. And I'm always trying to sort of continually analyze our own people to think about what kinds of things do we need? Because we, we are collectively battered peoples. I remember this one educator, he said, it's battered people syndrome. Colonialism just beats people and beats people and beats people. There's a quote by a Maori scholar, which is uh, something along the lines of one of the most dangerous things that colonization did was got us to stop believing in ourselves. And so we're looking for these external solutions sometimes, or sometimes we're engaged in behaviors that might be enabling more harm. Like someone once said to me, hurt people hurt people. And I said, well, I think I get what you're saying, but you could also say hungry people eat babies, right? Like it's not a necessary thing. It's not be, just because someone harms you doesn't mean you, you now have to harm someone. Like the cycle has to break somewhere. It has to stop. But in order for it to stop, we're going to have to have these hard conversations about you touched a child. You, you did something to someone when they were in a state when they couldn't really say yes to what you're trying to do. You did these things. You said these things. And so to sort of name these harms and to think about what they do and not come to a place of just the sort of toilet bowl effect of guilt and shame and how that can just sort of create this destructive environment for a lot of people, it's a it's a huge, huge task to sort of look at 
transforming these things. And so we've mentioned a couple times where you work. So maybe we can talk a little bit about like specifically what is the program? Where? How did it grow? I, I think you're the one who's watering the plants and, and building the forest, which is just really amazing. And I know that's a lot of pressure on you. And But what I see is, is that you're building something powerful and something lasting. And I want folks to know what it is. Yeah, thank you. When I think about the work that we're doing here, let me let me just back up and say when I was trained, I was trained as a clinical community psychologist with a rural indigenous emphasis. And when I first applied to the program, I was actually in Sitka. And I applied to the program because of those last words, rural indigenous emphasis, because honestly, I didn't know what a PhD was. I mean, I knew it was a terminal degree. I knew that you could be called doctor when you're done, but that was not what I was after. I heard the words rural indigenous emphasis and I thought about my hometown. So that's just something that I wanted to mention. I I knew where my passion lied from years of doing community-based work in in my region, in the Aleutians and Provolofs. I also felt very passionate about the field of behavioral health due to the history of my mother and the Aleut internment. I didn't know anything about the Aleut internment. I turned 18 and I got a check from the federal government that was umpteen thousand dollars and I had no clue what it was and my family didn't tell me what it was. I just knew that kids on the island would say, are you turning 18? You getting your corned beef money? And I remember thinking, I don't know what that is. And yeah, I turn 18 soon. And then I got the money and I still didn't know. No one explained to me or I just had no clue. So I started to train to become a psychologist and there was a flyer on the wall and it said the Aleut story, the untold story. And I remember thinking, I'm going to go check that out. And around the same time, one of my professors said, who knows what historical trauma is? Does anyone want to share? And you could hear a pin drop in the room. And this was around 2007. And I just remember thinking, I want to say something because I just watched the Aleut story and I know my own family. And so I shared the story of my, my family. But when I walked into that Beartooth Theater and Pub to watch the Aleut story, the untold story, which is where they played it, there my grandpa was testifying to the federal government in Unanga. And I just was so confused because no one told me what this was, where it came from, what the history was. And afterwards, I asked an elder, many of those elders have now passed on, and I said, why didn't my mom ever talk about this? And she said, because it's not in the textbook. And we were told we're liars. And so what we did is we forgave and we moved forward. And I said, what does that do psychologically to our people? And she said, well, when you hold it in, it does manifest into disease, such as addiction, such as cancer, such as many things. And so all of that really pushed me hard because there were many times in my academic journey that I wanted to quit. And I just kept remembering elders saying, you started it, finish it. And times when I said, I feel like I'm alone, I remember one elder said, imagine a forest of hundreds of trees, and you're one of those trees. And he said, you're not alone, but you feel alone, and you need to finish this for our people. So I share those things because I am driven no matter how hard it is, and I do not think it's hopeless. I still believe that there is so much hope and there's so much opportunity and I can see it in my own children of breaking the cycle. I have two children 10 years apart and my children can say I had a really good life mama and that means the world to me. They don't have to suffer some of the things that I've suffered. So breaking the cycle is really important. So the work that we do here is really important for helping people to see themselves, to have a sense of belonging, and to recognize that their full future and potential is in their hands. And it really starts with us. It starts when people start to lose hope. I like to remind them it starts with you. It's never too late. Look at the elders that come to therapy. They are ever so cute working on themselves. Elders, elderly elders working on themselves in therapy is the most beautiful part of my job. And and it's even more fun when they're willing to try a tool that is introduced by Western society, Western psychology 
to help themselves, but also we tie it back into what did our people do? What did our people do for this thing called mindfulness? What did our people do? You know, it's really the foundational approach of respect for each other, respect for elders, respect for self. It goes back to our tribal values. Everything we learn in Western psychology, our people have already been doing for many, many years, thousands of years. And so we tie that back. So the work we do here is we we do mention our tools and skills that we learn from education, but we tie back in how it already exists within us through our tribal values. Probably one of the best stories I've ever heard is an individual suffering from addiction. And the short story is it was during being out on the boat and away from the community for weeks at a time that they found the most healing just being on the water, having their mind clear from technology and from noise and from pain. That was their true medicine. And so we really tried to bring that. We, we bring those, those thoughts and what already exists in us as Native people in this space, this, these four walls of our healing center. May your spirit be like water that has settled clear. That's a a metaphor that I was thinking of that was taught to us. It's like if you just went and scooped out some water from especially a a river that's coming from a glacier. If you just scooped that water up, you'd see all these particles and sediments floating around in there. But if it was in a clear container and you just left it long enough, it would just settle nice and clear. And so that's a concept in in Tlingit for just being calm with yourself and being steady and just allowing yourself to to just relax into a state of calmness. And so that's what I'm hoping for you as you're listening to this. We'll be right back. We're going to take our second break and then we'll close out this conversation on healing and wellness. So you are your best self and you are the thing that indigenous peoples need. So stay strong. Be good. Cheesh. <laughs> is family therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. 
Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. And we're back. That translates to, we're the dream of our ancestors. One time we recorded this speaker, his name was Kalkau, Cyril George. Uh, he was so amazing, so wonderful. And we asked him to record some stories with us in Tlingit. And he said, he said, I, I feel thankful today. My grandchildren touched my arm and led me here. They are my courage. And just like to hear this 90-year-old, wonderful person who has so much wisdom, so many stories, he himself survived a boarding school that actively tried to prohibit him from speaking. And he was a wonderful speaker. But just for him to sort of look at us and say, they are my courage. Like he was talking about us when he said that. And it was just such a wonderful thing just to feel that we were bringing something to him, right? Because we look to our elders for help. We look to our elders for guidance. And then we hear like we're helping them. And so coming back to this concept of a holistic idea of indigenous peoples, of strength and beauty and courage and wellness, if we did our job right collectively, what do you think things look like 20 years from now, 30 years from now, when we're the elders, hopefully, that they're bringing into the room to talk to them? That is a very, very big question, and it actually brings a lot of emotion to me because the work is very tiring, and, and I still have hope. So that's, that's, it's, it's a huge, huge question. So as I ponder that, I'll... I'll jump first to what I had mentioned earlier about I want children to not suffer the way many of us have because the world's already really hard to live in and we have technology and social media that makes has really even complicated it further because information is coming in, knowledge is there, and that knowledge, if it's negative, it can really impact one's mental health. And when you're listening to negativity all the time, it can really exacerbate already underlying depression or anxiety or sense of belonging. And so what I imagine it could be like is being able to feel like you belong, being able to feel psychologically safe in spaces that you share with your family and friends and community, being in a space where you feel like you have a strong sense of self and confidence so that you know where to turn and to ask for help when you're suffering and to not avoid. How many of us have gone into environments where we avoid maybe taking a certain route to avoid another human being and to avoid energy? I imagine a world, and that is something that exists profoundly among our own people due to this extensive history of pain, uh, pain that 
continues to perpetuate today among ourselves, and we know how we got here. Many of us know that that history of trauma and what has happened, it it has become a cycle. So I imagine a world where, uh, if I were to narrow it down, because when you speak and you try to imagine something, you also should be doing the work. And so one of the things that we do as a team here is we hold each other accountable and we look into each other's eyes and we are not afraid of having hard conversation and encouraging each other to get help when we see one another suffering. And suffering meaning if you are displaying negative attitudes towards each other, lateral violence, whatever you want to call it, we hold each other accountable to take a look at yourself and to start healing yourself. I want to see a future where we can hold each other, be honest with each other, be authentic, and guide each other. Because the fact is, is we'll never be perfect. In fact, one of my late mentors said, it would be a boring world if we were perfect. So we'll never be perfect. We'll never defeat anxiety and depression and substances. But I do believe we can live more in balance and not disproportionate. And in doing so, it's finding a sense of self having a sense of belonging and feeling safe, being able to be that baby language speaker and not be scolded when you don't do it right, having someone gently say, let me teach you, let me show you, and having the person not respond with anger due to a history of trauma that lives within them, because that's what's happening. It's perpetuated. And so it would be an amazing world if our people can really hold up to our values in an authentic and honest way. Uh, wonderful. You know, I was thinking as in Hawaii, and we we're just having a conversation, and I, th- I just had this image that sort of popped up in my mind. So it, in Alaska, almost every single language is extremely endangered. It's it's a very dangerous situation in that if there's not very serious structural changes that happen quickly, we're going to watch these languages begin to disappear. And, and they don't just disappear, they're they're getting killed off. By colonization and so it, there's agency behind colonization that does attempt to completely annihilate indigenous languages so if we look at survival we have to transform indigenous communities and we have to transform the colonizers as well like these descendants of colonizers who were active agents of destruction have to now become active agents of healing themselves and transformation so when people come to learn the language, I usually like to tell them, oh, this is wonderful. I'm so glad you're here. You were needed. You were valued. You were exactly what we want, exactly what we need. But if you do not speak this language and you want to, that means you cannot live the same life you lived before. That's not a bad thing. That means you are the one who has to create that room in your life. And what I like to think of it as is there's a whole bunch of your ancestors in a room right near you. And they have all their favorite foods out. The table is set. And they're just looking at you and saying, And they're saying, come here, grandchild. Come sit by us. We're going to eat together. And you have to answer that call. But answering that call means you have to create that time and that space in your life. So if you were ever thinking about, maybe I'll quit smoking. Today's a great day to do that. Maybe I'll quit drinking. Today's a great day to do that. Maybe I'll quit uh, engaging in drugs. And so today's a great day to do that. And But not to say you need to do all of those things all at once. Like you have to set yourself up for a, a gradual success, a, a, a shift in your perspective of what you want. And envisioning a future, there was there was this elder, uh, he tragically passed away not too long ago. His name was Haklage Norman James. And he used to tell me, our people could see way out into the future in our language. And he says, I'll tell you about it sometime. And I tried, I kept trying to get him on to record him saying this in the language. I was like, let me, will you say it? Will you let me record you? He said, yes. Then I come to him. He's like, I got a headache today. I was like, okay, next day. I got a sore throat. Don't feel good. Okay. Next day. Ah, my stomach doesn't feel good. And then I said, okay, today's our last day getting together. Can you do it? I, I would love if you could. And he says, Okay, just you and me. We'll walk down by the lake. Just you and me. And he just, this very short conversation. It was only about eight minutes long. And I thought, huh, maybe maybe there's a lot in there. But then when I went back and listened to it, he gave us so much information. And the biggest thing he said there was probably, our ancestors could see way out in front of themselves. 
because they were always thinking about this place they're reserving for their grandchildren. And so thinking about this concept of future generations and thinking about this concept of, of ancestors. So if we're doing it right, I think 20 years from now, all the current languages in Alaska are alive and are gaining strength in terms of the number of speakers and the places the languages are spoken. The state of Alaska has done a lot to acknowledge its own historical role in putting indigenous peoples through a tremendous amount of harm in their languages in a severely endangered state. And then we have schools that are teaching in our language, we have kids that are speaking in our languages, and we are living absent collectively of a, of a huge trauma. Harold uh, Napoleon talks about this in his, in his text, like the great death that the colonizer and the colonized have to collectively overcome. And then that releases a burden from the entire population to say, we don't have to carry this, this horrible thing that happened, this series of horrible things that happened. But my hope is that we're, we're radiating a sense of well-being, of health, of happiness, of joy. And, you know, Life is not always just good stuff. You're going to have to go through grief. You're going to have to go through sorrow. You're going to have to go through loss. But that when that loss happens, we have the things in our culture, in our language that equips us to reach out and grab each other's hand and hold each other up through the hard times so that we can get there and get back to telling good jokes. As we start to wrap this up, do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? I would just go back to it starts with us. It starts with you. No one can do it for you. Show up for yourself. Show up for yourself. And, you know, as you described, take a piece at a time. Don't get overwhelmed. And, you know, change Change is something that only we have control over. No one else can do it for us. And you don't have to do it alone. There are people. There are people there that would love to hold your hand through the process. And there's nothing better than to cry and laugh with somebody else to help help you through it. Yeah, that same elder, one time he told me, when I was a young man, he's from Carcross, uh, which is in the Yukon Territory. He says, when I was a young man, I used to walk around and these old people are just walking around trying to find someone to laugh with. He says, now I'm an elder, I just walk around trying to find people to laugh with. And it was, it was so fun. And we used to just laugh and tell jokes and just just have so much fun. And and as you go through your your own journey, like there there's no there's no end point too. Cause sometimes if we might get a little bit confused perhaps or, or hopeful that the life will be like a movie with a very clean conflict and resolution and this new world order. And there might be occasions in your life where you have that, but really you're looking at like a lifelong process. And as your process comes, you look at yourself and you look at your journey, you look at your actions and your actions do not define you, but the collective decisions that you make do help sort of portray your values, your sense of what you think sh things should be. And so as we wrap up this episode, I'll, I'll share one more thing. When Alaska Native Languages were becoming the co-official languages of Alaska, we were invited to visit with the governor and have this signing ceremony. And someone stood up and he spoke, uh, maybe it was Gwich'in, maybe it was Koyakon. It, it was an interior Dene language. And he said to the governor, like in front of everybody, he says, you know, in our languages, it's very hard to just say one thing and do another. You can't do it. it it's very hard to lie in our languages. And you're a politician. So you should really learn an Alaska native language so you guys could stop lying so much. <laughs> I laughed so hard because like I could feel the setup and I just remember thinking, is he really going to do that? And he did. And it was hilarious. I don't I don't know if the person he said it to laughed a whole lot, but we sure did. So whatever you're doing, wherever you're at, uh, I hope that you are successful, that you're feeling good about yourself. If you're looking for help, get the help you need. If someone else reaches out to you, try to be a person for them that they can count on. Because I think if we help each other, this is also a value in Tlinget. This one elder, his name is Kahuanish George Davis. He said, just love and kindness. Just put that in your heart. Maybe if your life is out of control, the people that you were kind with, maybe they will help you. So as we start to wrap up this episode, I'm so thankful to Dr. Tina Woods for sharing your perspective, your knowledge, your time with us. She works at Central Council of Clinkett and Haida in the Community Behavioral Services Program. And I just see wonderful things that are developing here that have already developed and that will continue to do so. Yeah, we're going to cheesh.
The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.